Hello, folks. It's Noel Yantos again with Loft. We are doing another podcast with Mr. Shane Phillips of the esteemed fighter maintenance contracting. He specializes in L-39s, retrofits, maintenance, whatever you need on that aircraft. He is your guy. I trust him implicitly. Uh, He's got a varied background and very exciting. Uh, We were able to chat with him today for quite some time about our new project that we're working on for our upset recovery here at Loft, and uh, I think you folks will get a kick out of it. Mr. Shane Phillips, welcome. What's going on? I am glad to have you, my friend. I know I just kind of, I, I harangued you. Yeah. I side, I side blinded you. That's all right. Yeah. That's normal. Shane, it is great to have you here. I want to chat about how we met each other, and I want to chat a little bit about what you do for a living, which is very exciting. I'm excited because we're working on a project together, which we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, what got I you? Know, I don't know who's more excited about that project, though, me or you. Oh, I think we could. We, you know what? We can do a tester. We can do a tester. I got an idea on that one. We'll see. It's not just a <laughs> one out of ten. All right. <laughs> so we'll get back to that in a minute. But what uh, what got you into aviation mechanicking? That's not even a word, is it? Uh, let's, sure. Let's go with it. Yeah. I don't know. When I was in eighth grade, I just knew what I wanted to do. Excellent. Which is a little unusual. Most people say I might want to be a mechanic, but not necessarily aircraft mechanic. Yeah. Still exciting, though. Yeah. Where'd you grow up? Uh, the northeast part of Alabama. All right. So you haven't left. Well, I left and come back. All right. What'd you do after that? So how'd you get on the pathway to be to realize your dream at eight years old? <clears throat> well, locally, there was a company called International Jets. That um, I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, the um, the local airport's very small and not any jobs really. Right. A um, few tea hangers. That's about it. So this international jets was the main place on the airport. So I graduate high school. I go down to Mobile and get my A and P license. Then I go back home and work at International Jets for like $7 an hour. Wow. All right. Nothing. So it's an internship. I guess so. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You're a full-blown AMP getting paid 7 bucks an hour. Yes. All right, then. We'll circle back around on that. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that was your there. negotiated rate? That's all I could do, man. All right, brother. All right. It's either that or move out of town somewhere. All right. But... Uh, so I worked there for a while, and then I quit and went contracting on uh, uh, heavies. Okay. Uh, so International Jets, they actually started off uh, working with L-39s, L-29s. Yeah, they were one of the first importers. Okay. Um, they started out with Iskras. Oh, I don't even Polish, know what that is. Polish junk. Okay. Um, Two-seaters? It was a two-seat trainer, but it was underpowered and small. Okay. And it didn't wasn't real popular. Where were they main? Poland. I okay, think. so they were bringing them over from Poland? Yeah. Okay. But uh, somehow we got involved with these L-39s, started bringing them in. And uh, and there's quite the, I don't mean to segue here, but this is kind of interesting, I think, at least for me, 
the the import process of an L thirty nine. I mean, it's it's not you don't just go over there, buy it, put it in a container, and ship it over here, right? I mean, you got to go through a little bit of a rigmarole. Some of to, the stories I've heard are just. Well, I think some of it's crazy. bullshit. Yeah, I well, don't. some of it's not though, because you know you go over there with a suitcase full of cash. All right, I like it so far. And <laughs> you give it to somebody and hope that they send you an airplane. All right. You don't even get to see it before you leave? Yeah, but, I mean, you don't know that that's the one that you're going to get. All right. That's the one that's not going to end up in the shipping container. You may get the right airplane with a junk engine replaced Uh. in it. (laughs) It So what uh, about import laws and stuff like that? I mean, I assume that... Well, these aren't ITAR-controlled items. Okay. Uh, So there is some demilitarization and some some, uh, State Department paperwork and stuff like that and licenses. Right, but uh, yeah, because I know, I mean, our our airplane, our L thirty nine, had, you know, hard points on it. I mean, essentially, you could mount bombs and put a gun in the front of the thing and all that stuff. So, how do they demilitarize that? They just remove those items. Uh, remove the actuating systems, basically. Gotcha. You can still have pylons and drop tanks, and just can't drop them. Correct. Got uh, it. Per the ops limits, you can't drop or or uh, jettison anything. Got it. Um, however, some of these aircraft are on public use military contracts, which um, I have installed a a dual 50 cal uh, <laughs> units on the pylons. Holy smokes. Uh-huh. Who do you have to go through? Do you have to go through the ATF to, to have approval to do that, or how does that work? Uh, I know we're getting in the weeds here, but I'm, well, I'm already fascinated. Well, once it's public use, you don't... You don't follow any of the rules. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, so we, we had FN come in and install some pods. Got it. Um, the tricky part was figuring out the trajectory because um, it, it had the factory um, gun sight. Got it. Right, right, right. So we're trying to figure out, you know, the gun sight was for a gun that was on the belly. Right. So we had gun pods on the Oh, that's pylons. completely different. Yeah. So we didn't... and. It was a different caliber, so we didn't know. So we were pointed out of this hangar, and there was about a uh, a building about a mile away. So I was just <laughs> aiming for the uh, for the air conditioner. You units. just wheeled this thing out and started popping off rounds. No, no, it was oh. out in Yuma, Arizona. They they flew it out in uh, the proving grounds, and okay, and it was phenomenal. I bet. Uh, I mean, it, it must have added some serious weight. It's uh, that was mounted on an L thirty nine. Okay, that must have added some serious weight then too. It it wasn't bad. Um, it just didn't have many uh, uh, many bullets in there. I think two hundred fifty per pylon. Oh wow, that's not much at all. Nothing. Yeah, that's a quick burst. But with a Browning fifty cal, it's kind of a slow cycle rate, so it's not. Yeah, a Browning fifty cal is what it was. Well, that'll do some serious damage. Wow, that's really neat. So getting back to the the import process, then you go over there with a box of cash, you cross your fingers, they cut this thing up, put it in a box, ship it over to you, goes through customs. Customs just waves it through. Well, <laughs> give it the big thumbs up. Yeah, that's a fighter jet. Yeah. Send it on. Some of the stuff customs looked at was just ridiculous. I mean, there's a lot of airplanes that came in that were not demilled. Oh, really? They, they just didn't put know it in what a box. They were looking at sure. As long as there was no. Uh, Wood in the container. They might have termites. Uh, <laughs> Some stray fruit, a banana yeah. or something. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. But um, a lot of the 
the airplanes come over with no problems. There were a few that either didn't show up or showed up with an engine that was, you know. Not what you paid for. Not what I paid for. Right. Paperwork-wise, I, I can assume, I think you and I have struggled on that as well, just on replacing parts, trying to get original paperwork. I have to assume that you hope that it, I mean, is that part of the value? Because here in the States, you know, logbooks are the airplane. Without the logbooks, the airplane's paperwork. Experimental is not so bad, but uh, it's still, you know, half the value of the airplane. So you're you're concentrating on making sure that the, the books that Typically, are... Typically, they brought the books back with them. Um, Got it. Just okay. to verify. All right. And I've, I've seen ours were all in Russian. Yeah. Or Czech or whatever that is. Cyrillic. Cyrillic. There you go. See? Cyrillic. All right. See, I'm smarter than I like. I love it. I love it. <laughs> all right. So you get the books. You got the airplane. You got it paid for. Comes over. Gets through our process. And then essentially comes to somebody like you, which takes this thing and tries to put it back together. Well. Is it pretty standard the way they take them apart? Yeah, the wing comes off in one piece, and um, everything fits in the shipping container. Um, so you just take it apart, um, you know, take it out of the container, put it together. Most of the time, they're not in that great a shape as far as paint. Right. And the cockpits are just... Well, they're not being kept junk. inside or anything, right? No. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the first thing you do is refurbish uh, per the, the customer's request, but... Uh, a lot of them are still the original paint. Wow. Yeah, I think uh, Troy Downing's is original paint, isn't it? And that thing Depending is... on what country they came from, the paint was better, some better than others. Right. Um, this has know. lasted a long time, though, too. I mean, that's, that's... What did he say? It sits out in the Siberian winters. That's how they build those things. They seem to be fairly non-susceptible to elements as well. I mean, we had ours out on the ramp for a while with all the salt water. It didn't seem to be much of an issue corrosion-wise. No, the the aluminum is a little different than American aluminum. It's it's um, anodized. Okay. So that makes it really hard to corrode. Um, that's good because that's what they were planning for, I assume, right? Yeah. These airplanes, are they still available? I mean, they've, they've got surplus ones that are over there now? They that... are. Probably the ones that are over there you wouldn't want. Okay. Um, there are still some over here in the states that um, you know are hidden away. Yeah, in a horse barn in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> I like where you're going with this. Yeah, that's that's the project that we're working on. We're gonna try to put this thing together and put a Garrett motor in it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. But I jumped a little bit ahead. So you left um, you left International Jets and uh, did what now? Well, I went contracting on uh, on heavies. Uh, specifically DC-10 passenger to freighters okay. in Mobile. Uh, so I worked there for a while. and um, Just doing sea checks and, and those type of inspections? No, the passenger to freighter mod, so it, it, it took DC-10s that were American Airlines or United Airlines. Right. And we took all the floor beams out, all the wiring, all the hydraulics, all the cables, put new floor beams in, and then, uh, you know, it's a cable car. Yeah. So I got I got on this crew that was a um, flight control rigging specialist crew um, because prior to this crew being formed, Mobile Aerospace would pay for, or excuse me, FedEx would pay for three test flights. Got it. After the project. So after that was the end result was to tr to turn this thing into right. a freighter. Okay, I gotcha. It, it, 
DC-10 into an MD-10. Got it. Um, just put... Uh, specifically for MD-11 FedEx or... Avionics. Yeah, specifically. So uh, I got on this crew, and the first airplane that... that um, the airplane prior to us had like 13 test flights, all uh, flight control issues. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> the first airplane we put out afterwards had zero okay. on the first test flight. That's a good run. That's so, a good crew. So our crew is kind of the all-star crew, and uh, we could do whatever we wanted. Beautiful. And that was there in Alabama, I assume. It was Mobile, not working. Alabama, yeah. Mobile, It was not working for FedEx. No. It was, okay. It was a separate contractor. Um, so Mobile how long would something like that take to take it from its Nine current? Nine to 11 months. Oh, that's not bad at all. So they'd get a full-blown freighter within a year. You guys yeah. could do more than one at a time? Uh, we had more than one airplane. Usually uh, it was two uh, hangers side by side, you know, two different crews. It was kind of a uh, competition between the two. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But it, it was a good time. You know, How long did you do that for? I don't know. Four years or so. Okay. A little better than seven bucks an hour? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Maybe some benefits? Uh, yeah. Had some benefits. It's probably the, one of the best jobs I've ever had. Great. Um, you know, this Are they was, still around? Mobile airspace is still around. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that they're doing any more passenger to freighter conversions. They've actually FedEx has wore all those airplanes out. Yeah, they're all done. And they're they? upgrading to different stuff. Right. But uh, you know, coming in a project at the at the infancy and the baby stages, you know, we were working with Boeing engineers. You know, they would they would bring us a, a huge crate of parts, big as this room, right, and a, a blueprint. <laughs> And you have an empty <laughs> shell of an airplane. And That's they, rather creative. They say, okay, go put all this stuff in. Well, you go back to the engineer. You say, well, this is not going to work. Right. Uh, so, you know, a lot of working with the engineers as far as changing uh, blueprints and stuff like that. It was fun. That's wild. That's wild. And so they don't come out experimental, though. They they're come out as a certified right. freighter, correct? Right. So what's the process then? I assume you got to bring in. You have a designee that'll come in and look at all your paperwork and. At the time, I was a little young and I didn't get involved in any of that. Okay. Um, in any stages of that stuff. That's very interesting though, because that's um, essentially it's a it's a re- it's a resto mod, right? Right. You're just taking it down to its bare bones and then building it back up into a freighter and then adding a door, I assume, and as well. And cutting a huge door. All right. You know, the whole airplane had to be shored up. Uh, it was. It was a huge project, and, and it wasn't just that. It was all the checks, removing landing gear, replacing landing gear, removing pylons, um, overhauling the pylons. You know, this was a – I didn't realize it at the time, but for a young guy like myself, it was a a dream come true. Yeah, because you get experience in every aspect of what makes an airplane and tick. since I was no dummy – I was the youngest guy running a night shift crew. Nice, nice. And I wasn't, I wasn't even a uh, a direct employee. I was a contractor. Oh wow, running direct employees. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. Yeah, that's a feather in the cap on that. So you did that for three or four years, and then uh, why did you leave? Did it slow down? No, it didn't slow down. Just uh, 
just got ready to do something else. All right. And that was? I moved back home to uh, International Jets. All right, then. Worked there for a little while. I hope for more, more than $7. More hour. than 7 All right. You saw that coming. Yeah. yeah. $7.50. All right. Very good. <laughs> but that's, that's going up, man. That's yeah. the right direction. Um, but since I've had experience at a uh, FBO, while I was going to A&P school, uh, International Jets bought the FBO that was on the field, fired everyone. Okay. Sure. And they put me over the FBO fueling part. Okay. Um, Did you still have any AMP duties, or you're just now you're just no, running an FBO? Really. Um, which is I, I didn't stay there long because of that. Right, right. It was um, not going the direction you wanted no. to go. Yeah. Uh, I would hire someone, train them up, think they would be my replacement, and then they would fire them. Right. Well, that's got to be a tough hire in that area too, because I, I mean, I've been to that area. We bought we bought our airplane from International. I'm having Jets. that problem right now. Yeah, I bet, I bet. So that didn't go very well. No. Were they successful in the FBO business, or was it more supplementing their their maintenance side? They were successful when I was there. Um, a few years after I left, they they just kind of um, this. The airport's not big enough. It don't have enough no. traffic yeah, for it really two doesn't. FBOs. I think I saw when we were there for three days. I think I saw four airplanes yeah. take off. So, and it's not a it's not a real close. stopover point either for any of the corporate jets or anything no. of that nature. What and what's the I, I forget the identifier. Do you remember? KGAD. That's right. Yeah. Gadsden, Alabama. Gadsden. That's right. It is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's um, it's a huge airport. But you got a Cracker Barrel. You know, that's how you define. Yeah. A good location is with a Cracker Barrel. Yeah, I think I had <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the Cracker Barrel. That's <laughs> a that's a get some good grub. <laughs> yeah. So what did you do then after you left that? Was that when you went into business for yourself? Uh, well, actually, I went back down to Mobile Aerospace for just a little while, and then I went contracting uh, over the U.S. You know, North Carolinas, just seeing the world a little bit. Yep. Um. Working on specifically the the little fighter jets, or no, no, no just the everything heavies. Okay, um, but then after nine eleven, I decided to join the Air Force. All right, and uh, and go serve my country for a few years. I only planned on four years, and that's all I did. Although they tried to talk me into staying. I'm sure. I'm sure. As a mechanic. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, I was a F-15 Eagle uh, crew chief. Excellent. Excellent. What a wonderful airplane. Holy smokes. Did you ever get to ride one? Unfortunately, no. Um, our squadron didn't give out a whole lot of incentive rides. Which makes no sense to me. <laughs> well, and when they did, it was to, you know, foreign dignitaries or uh, uh, people in finance, noners. Sure. We called them noners, non-flight line personnel. Okay. We hated noners. Yeah, I can imagine. Just come in for the bennies and punch out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so you did it for four years and then four years. punched. Yep. All right. And I'm I sure did. they threw some incentives at you to try to get you to stay. They did. Um, I actually, you know, when they when you go in and sign all the paperwork, they say, okay, here's your wish list. Where do you want to go? You know, mine was Florida, Texas. Right. They sent me to Anchorage, Alaska. Of course, because that was not on your list. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like In fact, I think Anchorage is just about as far as you can go away from uh, from Texas. Just about. I don't know if there's anything that's further away than that. Yeah. 
But it was. One I of personally the best like Anchorage, just not in the winter. Yeah, you get used to it. Yeah. Negative thirty is brutal. That is a real number. That's a real number. That's brutal. But I had fun. It was a good experience. You were there for the entire time. Well, I went to uh, to the basic, then I went to the tech school, and then I went straight up to Anchorage. Got it. Uh, so I was there for three years. Okay. And all, all F-15s, because there's a huge, uh, what the Air Force base up there, I forget. Elmendorf. Elmendorf, that's right. And a huge base for the F-15, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it was at the time. Uh, soon after I left, our squadron traded, uh, traded up to the F-22. Oh, okay. Uh, so I don't know if there's any 15s left up there or not, but okay. Interesting. All right, so you get out of the Air Force. Now what? I'm still waiting for it. When do we get to FMC? Well, then <laughs> then I, I actually uh, I, I wanted to come back home to North Alabama. I'm sure. And there was no aviation jobs, so International Jets still there. They but are. You'd, you'd run that gamut. They are, and. There was just no jobs. They weren't doing a whole lot. Right. So I got a job at a local Nissan dealership Okay. as a mechanic. You know, I'd always worked on cars, but never to that level. Right. Mostly for fun at that point. So. Yeah. I did see that truck. Holy smokes. That is gorgeous. Nicely done. Thank you. That Chevy. Uh, so I go to this Nissan dealership, no experience. So they hire me. And, uh, Based on your phenomenal looks, of course. Yes. <laughs> but uh, so they they were a little skittish about you know my abilities. Okay. But it didn't take long for them to realize I was an all star. You were you knew your way around a wrench. Yeah. All right. So you know, and flat rate is tough. Yeah. Uh, it is tough. That's a tough way to make a living. But yeah. you know, it wasn't long. I was making sixty hours. Off of 40 hours. Oh, wow. So it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, there's not many things, I guess, that I haven't enjoyed as long as I'm learning something. Right, right. But um, so eventually uh, I, I get to talking with the Snap-on guy that comes around. He said, hey, International Jets is being bought by some guy. Okay. Mr. Richard Hess. I am aware of the dress, yes. I said, well, I'll go check it out. Yeah. I'll go throw in my resume. It was him and a group that bought the the, the place, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I go over there, and uh, you know, I'd already worked there twice. Yeah, so it was that sounds like no, my corporate career. Hired, no fired brainer. several times. Yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer <laughs> to him to hire somebody that sure actually knew L thirty nines. in the local area. Because they at that point they were really starting to get into the L thirty nine. Yeah, they they didn't do many L twenty nines though, right? No. Okay. None that I'm aware of. Right. Um. Because that market heated up pretty pretty good there for a while. It did because they were cheap. Yes, still are, unfortunately. Yeah. How in the world can that be justified? I mean, the airplane that we had, what two hundred grand? You know, I mean, it's a beautiful airplane. It used to be owned by Frank Borman, the astronaut. Beautiful condition, two hundred G's. What sells the L thirty nines is the looks and the air conditioner. <laughs> yeah, that is a great air conditioner. <laughs> I have made snow many times in I that know. thing. Yes. So I go over to Rich Hess, get a job there again, and I stayed there for six years. Oh, brilliant. Worked my way up to director of maintenance. Okay. And uh, 
And you guys just had a steady flow of steady. refurbs, I assume, you know, maintenance checks, the annuals, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. You know, people, and people would come in to, to, to international jets, right, as opposed to traveling out? Well, we would do both. Um, you know, like out here, San Diego, there's, it's cost prohibitive to fly it all the way to Alabama. Yes, I remember. <laughs> a lot cheaper for, to fly me out here. Yes, yes. But uh, And we're all scared of the airplane, so we don't actually want to get in it. I think that's only you. <laughs> well, I'm still alive. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> I bitch about it, but I love that thing. I love it. I lo- every time I take off, and it makes me smile. Yeah. But it still scares the shit out of me. Wait till you fly the new one. I'm looking forward to it. Don't don't skip ahead. We'll get there in a second. So eventually, as as director of maintenance, you know, you, you develop relationships with people over the years. And it would take Rich Hess... 10 seconds to destroy that relationship and they never come back. Yeah. Yes. So finally, I just I think got... he was I think from a piloting standpoint, you know, his skill set was oh, more yeah, towards that, pilot. you know, and I but I think that when we bought and we bought our airplane from him, um, you know, his knowledge of the aircraft was astonishing, you know, he was passionate about it. I mean, there was lots of things that were great. I just think he probably should have had somebody else in that sales role, you know, that was kind of the front runner to to keep him in the operational side as opposed to the sales side. Well, even as a instructor in the back seat, you know, it's he was an A10 instructor. Right. So, he still maintained that military mentality, which is fine to an extent, but it's it's hard it's hard when you get out in the in the civilian world. In the world. civilian world yeah. when you when you're training a multimillionaire, they're not going to tolerate you talking to them like they're dog shit. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was an, an eye-opening experience for me. I came from the civilian world and went on to the engineer panel for American Airlines, and one of my training sessions was taught by a warrant officer. And I did this flow. I went too quick, and I missed a thing, and he hit me. Hit me with a ruler. I was stunned. I would never <laughs> been hit in my life. <laughs> I turned around. I said, did you just hit me? <laughs> he said, I bet you'll do it right next time, That's won't funny. you? So that's that's military training. That's funny. <laughs> but I did, will say the next flow was perfect. So must have had something to do with yeah. it. Yeah. So eventually I got tired of, of all the shenanigans with Rich Hess, and I uh, quit and started my own business. So initially it was just a, a business for me to go and contract with. Sure. Um, Specifically for the L-39s, correct? No, actually. Oh, no. Um, one of the L-39 owners hired me at his company, a uh, company in Tullahoma, Tennessee, that does um, flight testing, flight evaluation, stuff like that. Um, For? Anything? Well, his background is he was part of the Black Hawk Down uh, Little Bird crew. Oh, wow. Uh, so he has um, military background. Plus, uh, he is kind of a Native American background. Okay. So he gets a lot of uh, contract things that sure. it's hard for other people to get. Yeah, well-deserved. Yeah, he's a super guy. Uh, I loved working there with him. He's still um, around? Yeah. Um, actually, I, I just talked to him yesterday. He's he's trying to get together some engineering reports for me for this this new project. Brilliant. Um. But so I go there and and 
at the time the project was for Sikorsky on this pusher puller airplane. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a bad idea to, to start with. Well, <laughs> they purchased the Sikorsky purchased a company. I think it's called Shorts. Is this like a Mixmaster or something? It's similar. Yeah. It, it was uh, the Cessna uh, 339 or whatever the heck that was. Turbo props. Turbo props. Push pull. Uh, okay. So they purchased this company that had this government contract already. And since they're not an aircraft company, they said, oh, well, we'll just shut this project down. And the government says, you shut it down before it's finished and you won't get any more helicopter contracts. Okay, that makes sense. So I said, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, so they hired us to finish the project okay. and do all the testing. I like it. Um, but this thing, it was a strange airplane. Uh, did it ever see the light of day? It did, and it flew the required um, flight hours. Okay. Was it worth a shit? No. Okay. It's, it was designed kind of like a uh, kind of like a drone, a man drone. Okay. Uh, it had wings that would fold out. Okay, I'm already uh, out. I'm done. So that folding mechanism was a nightmare. <laughs> um, but during one of the test flights, the the it had a gull. Um, gull wing doors. Oh, I see this coming. Yeah. One of those flew sure, off of flight. Sure, um, of course it did. Did that, did that go well? Well, they landed safe. Okay, um, good. Nobody died on that one. But the whole purpose of this thing was to take off and go do recon on one engine. Okay. So, take so you off could stay on station for a while. Yeah. Okay. But at the end of the flight testing, they literally came in there with chop saws and cut it up and took it to scrap. Wow. Wow. It was that bad. It was that bad. Whew. Well, that's a shame. It, who who made it again? I think it was Shorts. Okay. Um But they it sounded to me like they knew that project was headed towards the they did. the exit anyways. They just had to f- they had to finish it, it though. And finish yeah, it. and that makes sense cuz in case something maybe changed their mind. All right, so it was done. They cut it up into pieces and right. hauled it off. So uh, during this time, this couple of years I was there, uh, I had kept receiving phone calls from L-39 owners. Hey, can you do this inspection? You know, I don't trust anybody else. Yeah. So eventually I said, well. Because not many people know much about that airplane. <laughs> A lot of people claim to. Yeah, they don't. They don't. I've had many mechanics stick their head in and just just turn sheet white. Yeah. A lot of people claim to, but it's you got to have experience. Yeah. Well, just that fuel control unit alone. I remember the process of having that that tuned was oh, yeah. a was a two day experience There's with that poor adjustments. guy. Fifty two adjustments and on they the fuel all control affect unit. Each other. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was a nightmare. That was an absolute nightmare. There's not one of those on the, on the 731, is there? There is a fuel control, but not like this. Not like that one. No. Yeah. If I recall correctly, it was a little pricey as well, the part itself. About 30 grand, I think. I remember that, yeah. Uh, plus installation. <laughs> so you're, you're, you become the trusted go-to L39 mechanic. Yeah. So the owner, his name is Rod Allison uh, of XP Services in Tennessee. Okay. And uh, became a real good friend of mine. Um, and I, I said, Rod, I'm, I'm getting all these phone calls. I, I think I'd like to just go a different route and, and start the L39 yep. business. 
and he was supportive, and you know he wasn't happy about it. Sure. But um, so I moved. If he loved you, he'd let you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I moved back to Gadsden, and I, I did a lot of government contract support initially for a, uh, a company called Air USA. Okay. And they operate L-39s and uh, their aggressor squadron, no, pretending to be aggressors? No, a lot of their, um, most of their contracts were air-to-ground support for JTACs. Okay. Um, calling in airstrikes right. and stuff like that. So they're, they are actually staying on station, too, then, for a while. Well, as long as you can... In the L-39, as long as you can stay yeah, airborne. Yeah. Two hours max. Right. Even with drop tanks. Even with drop tanks. Yeah. But, so I did I did all the um, support, you know, it was from East Coast to West Coast, wherever their, their missions were. Um, and then on in between those times, I filled them in with annual inspections on 39s. So eventually, um, the contract world for that kind of stuff is kind of small. Yes. And they got a Well, the bad, whole community itself is fairly small. They got small. a bad reputation because they had, uh, they acquired some Hawks, BAE Hawks. Okay. And they had a few accidents with them. Not related to me or FMC. Right. I never touched those airplanes. All right. But um, uh, the last one was in Yuma, and uh, the pilot was taken off. They had done some maintenance on the drop tanks, and they weren't full. So when he rotated, the fuel went to the back. Oh, boy. And it got squirrely. And he hit a truck on the side of the uh, runway. Yeah. I think I remember seeing the footage of that and as it, well. And it killed the Marine that was in there working on the runway. Yeah. So That's after that, good. they kind of shut down the contract world for them. Right. Right. Um, so I moved on to a another company called Coastal Defense. And I had been maintaining uh, those airplanes for a few years. Uh, and I got recently to where I, I I just I didn't have time to do them. I was doing too much other L thirty nine stuff that paid better. Right. Um, so those guys went elsewhere for got their it. maintenance. Got it. Well, it sounded like that was kind of headed towards the exit, anyways. Uh, so the company that that does their maintenance now has essentially grounded all the airplanes. Oh, good. That's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they can't keep them airworthy, but very nice. So that took you into your uh, your current FMC fighter maintenance consulting, yeah. and that's how I, I I stumbled onto you through Troy. He used yeah. you, I assume, uh, I, if I recall correctly. That's how he gave me your number. Said, "Hey, call this guy." Hey, call this guy. He's hey, cheap. No, he didn't. Say, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He, sa <laughs> he said exactly what the words I was looking for, which was, "When you climb in this thing and push the start button, you'll be very happy that he's the one doing the work." Okay. So, as I, as I learned, I get a little skitterish in that thing, as you learned. I know. <laughs> um, so from the L thirty nine side, the some of the characteristics that I saw in the airplane that I loved was its handleability. I mean, we had those extended tanks on ours for the fuel that rolled me upside down. I'm glad you got those off. Those, those disappeared. Yeah, I was done with those. 
So once we've got the winglets on, I mean, the airplane is just astonishingly maneuverable. We use it for upset recovery training, and it is an incredible platform for that, um, you know, to be able to get a pilot upside down where he's never been in that situation before, a severe, unusual attitude um, of which he's never seen before in a prop airplane or a jet airplane is is incredibly valuable. Yeah. I think the insurance companies are starting to embrace it. You know, they've even, some of the, I think UBS came out and said, hey, you know what, every other year, if you go to upset recovery training, we'll supplement that for, you know, an FA check. Well, the FA is not going to buy off on that, but it's interesting to see the insurance companies embracing it before the FA right. does. So you can see that there's going to be a, a big push for this upset recovery training. Airlines are now being mandated to do it by 2019 to be able to have an upset recovery program in place, plus the data in the sims. So you can kind of see the writing on the wall. Yeah. And, you know, 90% of the aviation accidents that happen out there are all loss of control. So the L-39 for us was a great platform for that. The one thing that always concerned me was that of Chenko Motor. I know you always try to talk me off the cliff on that thing. Those things are tough. Man. I know. I know. I just it, And it never, ever even blinked at me. But for whatever reason, I think it was probably the interesting start procedure that exists to get that thing started. And it just never, from from my jet background, it just never made sense in my head. I always had to go through the procedure, you know, every time I'd climb in that thing, I'd have to kind of run through it again in the, in the event of a flame out, that it's just kind of a different start procedure. Yeah. And so I think that never made me quite 100% comfortable. But it never it never blinked. Strong motor, um, you know, always, always did as it asked. As I asked, it always did it. But that being so stated, now with the 731 conversion that you're working on, had my full undivided attention. Yeah. And how did you how did you stumble on to the, the, the potential that that was even a, a doable thing? Well, the factory made a couple prototypes uh, for a potential government contract that they were looking for. Okay. Uh, they ended up not getting it and not producing anymore. Uh, however, with the Garrett? With the Garrett. Okay. 731-4. Dash 4, okay. Um, and we're looking at the Dash 3, right? The Dash 3, right. So... And it was because they couldn't make it work, or it just it just no, wasn't it coming to fruition. Okay. It worked fine. the The contract just didn't come about. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. Um, so, for whatever reason, they didn't go forward with it. Um, so we knew that the factory had done it, not had any issues because um, one of the prototypes is actually in the states and flying, uh, no problem. It flew at Reno. Oh, I don't think I knew that. That's the airplane. The prototype, the L thirty nine, L one thirty nine, L one thirty nine, right? And that actually has hydraulic canopies as well, right? No, oh no, you're talking about the L fifty nine, one fifty nine, or the L thirty nine MS. That's Vodahodi's new airplane, right? That's their, that's what they're the producing. MS was the prototype for the L fifty nine. Okay, the fifty nines all hydraulic flight controls and and that's what they're producing today, yeah. correct? Because they are still making these. Well, for I don't know that they're still making new ones. Oh, okay. Because I had heard rumors then that they that were going to start with working the with the the FJ forty four motor as well. Maybe I, I'm I'm not sure about the fifty nine. Well, maybe you can take a look at it, see if it's in there. Aero Vodahodi's new airplane. I th I thought they were still producing them, but I could be talking out the side of my face here. Well, they're they're taking the L thirty nine and re engineing them with a Williams. Okay, that's what I was reading. And calling it the L39NG Next Generation. Got it. And that's the factory that was doing that? Factory. Okay, so that answers that. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So 
Um, we knew there were some drawings out there, and we came across them. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> so we have the factory drawings for the uh, L139 uh, factory-installed Garrett. Okay. And that's essentially the engine mounts is what you're looking for, right? Or how it goes into the... Well... Or am I oversimplifying that? The drawings that we were interested in were the mounting, um, which we ended up going different from the way they went anyway. But we needed measurements and, and just, you know, we, we knew theirs worked, so we wanted to see how they did it. Okay. Um, and all you had was the drawings? All we had was the drawings. Did, were you able to put eyes on the, on the prototype that was here in the States? Code 1 has that airplane, Got it. and we were not able to get access to that. I understand. So we were kind of going in it blind with some drawings. So, uh, so we find I, I find a L thirty nine in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, that has a bad engine. Okay. It looks like Sanford and Son. It's <laughs> the whole airplane or just the engine? <laughs> well, the whole airplane. Okay. It is rough, rough, rough. Uh, so you wanted seventy grand for it. Okay. And I tried for three years to sell this airplane to somebody as a project. Right. Nobody wanted to buy it because... Did you try to sell it to me? Did I pass? Yes. Did you, okay. <laughs> Actually, I did. Okay. I just don't remember it. I've probably been drinking, so... I probably, did I buy it? And then I just backed out the next morning? No. Oh, okay. No, you got a better deal with what you got. I, I hope so, yeah. But, uh, so, I got involved with this the engineer electrical engineer down in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. Okay. Uh, he had contacted Code 1, and they didn't want to have anything to do with him because they were already doing their own 731 installs. Okay. Um, w were they doing them based on then the prototype? They were just essentially correct. doing it the same way you were going to do it. Correct. Okay. So I get involved with this guy. He calls me up and uh, says, hey, um, can you help me? I, I want to do this, but I'm not an L-39 expert. Okay. I said, sure, and I know where the perfect airplane for you is. <laughs> Good sell. I like it. So we take and uh, we put a different uh, fuel control on this one in Lexington, and we ferry it one time down to... You, you flew the San Francisco airplane yeah. in its current state? Yeah. Who did that for you? A guy named Tater. Of course. And his son's Tater Tot. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. I stole that joke. <laughs> so uh, so it gets a down shout out there to Ron White. And um, it's, it's going to be the first one. Okay. And we contact you. This is, my memory's all starting to come back yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So you were going to be the first buyer. Yes, yes. And I, if I recall correctly, I was on board. Yeah, yeah. you were on board. Yeah. But the engineer uh, changed his mind, and he didn't want to sell that one. Mm -hmm. So he bought another airplane that was flying uh, from Reno and flew it back and started the first project on it, actually. Right. So we take the engine out, and we gut the whole airplane. Every wire, every line, every hose, 
every bracket that's not needed, we got it as light as possible. Yep. And Which is key for that thing because I, I don't have many complaints about that airplane, but it being a tank is one of them. It's it's, it's a tank. Well, you know, I've gotten into the Reno air racing, and light is key. Yes. Well, uh, it makes the difference between winning and not winning. Right. Right. So. Um, Actually, your airplane was the one that got hit here this this year, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, that was scary. That was yeah. scary, but the fact that it came back in with missing an aileron, missing an aileron, and landed safely is astonishing, and it's a testament to not only the pilot skills but the airplane itself that it can fly without well, an aileron. It started getting uncontrollable under 180. Well, I'd hope so. Jesus. <laughs> so he landed at 200. Okay. Which is which almost is, that's, twice. That's pretty sporting. So it slung all the uh, tread off the nose tire. Yeah. But he landed safe, no problem. That's outstanding. And it generated some work. Yeah. The airplane is rebuildable, though, right? Well, parts of the airplane wing came off and hit the vertical ah. and hit the other uh, horizontal. So it needs a tail and a wing. Okay. Just not necessarily worth fixing. Sure. You just replace that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if he's even going to do that at this point. He's okay. looking for another airplane. But. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it becomes kind of cost prohibitive, especially with the acquisition cost of these airplanes yeah. still being relatively low. I don't think it's going to last forever, though, because they're, they're running out of airplanes. There's more. Yeah. All right. There's more. He's got a rice smile when he says that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rice smile for those of you listening. Can't see it. <laughs> so we take the, uh, the airplane, gut it, and we change a few things. You know, we're, the hydraulic reservoir is in, behind the wing. Uh, we move it to the nose of the airplane. Okay. So it's, it's acting as ballast, so you, so you lose total weight. Sure. Um, we took the hydraulic system, which was normally a uh, engine-driven pump, mm -hmm. which was after the wing, and we made a uh, hydraulic pump pack with a brushless DC motor. Okay. And put it up in the nose. So you just manufactured that? Yeah. Oh wow, that's wild. A lot of a lot of testing and a lot of hours put on that. Yeah. Um, you said two years. Well, what? And a lot of changes have happened over the two years because one idea, um, basically, you have to come to fruition with it and test it, and it may not work exactly as you want it, so right. you may have to change gears and do something else. But yeah. And the reason we could do all this, too, is because the aircraft is classified as experimental. Right. And therefore, it, it's just, you're, you're just trying to figure out the pieces that are fitting together. Right. Round hole, round peg. Right. Got it. So this first airplane was specifically sold to a person that races at Reno. Okay. He owns the Dash Aerosports, uh, Dash Digital Cash. I have seen that airplane. That's a fancy paint job. So we got fourth place this year. I saw that. Um, we were doing 530 <laughs> ground speed. That is hauling. At 50 feet. And that's with the Ivchenko motor. With the Ivchenko. Yeah. That's outstanding. So the third place um, airplane, which was one second faster than us, burnt their engine up. One second faster, but burnt the motor up. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you guys are just full throttle the entire way yeah 
So we put all new avionics in this airplane. Uh, it's real sparse, basic uh, Garmin, G3X, 650, uh, G5. You may not know anything about them because they're experimental. Yeah. But, uh, I blanked out. An experimental version of the G1000. Oh, beautiful. God. Garmin just makes an astonishing product, yeah. start to finish. We got 750s in our CJ. There's just there's nothing finer. Yeah. Easy to use. You know, it's intuitive. It knows what you're thinking. It takes you to the page you want. There's several ways to get there. I just love it. It just needs a Siri. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you just gave Garmin an idea. Yeah. yeah. So we we geared this one toward racing, okay. which on the normal airplanes, we typically won't move the reservoir up front. Uh, it's just too much work Yeah. Um, for the price that we're going to need to sell these kits for. Right. Um, is is the is the loft aircraft getting it moved? Is <laughs> that to be determined? To be determined if if, if loft pays for it. Yeah, <laughs> I see where we're going. All right, but the so it's not it's actually not necessary to move it for a weight and balance aspect. No. Oh, okay, gotcha. We I misunderstood. Just to to lose all the weight we could. Gotcha. So I don't know how much your airplane weighs uh, without fuel. Okay. But it's probably somewhere around seven. 7,000. Okay. We got this airplane down to 5,700 pounds. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I mean, you're removing seats and everything, though, right? I mean, essentially. We took out the ejection seats, which were cold, but uh, they weigh 100 pounds. Sure, because the tubes and everything are still there, and right? We we made some. We took an extra 300 carbon fiber seat, and we cut it down because it's a little too wide for the cockpit. We cut it down, and made it work for the L-39. Okay. So it, it has carbon uh, seats front and rear, which get rid of that's the brilliant. headrest, which allow you to see a whole lot more. Yeah, that's great you visibility. See from the back seat a whole lot more, too. That's really nice. That's really nice. Because that's a major. Com- that's one of my few complaints about the airplane as well, is in the back seat, visibility is not that great. The problem with the seats are they're going to be about ten grand. Sure. This is where he starts selling me stuff. <laughs> um, Here we go. I'm not the carbon guy, but um, you know we're we have tried to market this airplane a little bit and, and brand it uh, a little differently than the competition. Uh, the competition just takes uh, an airplane, takes the engine out, puts all wiring on top of everything that's already in there. Okay. Which is why you were saying there's a there's a weight issue there. Right. So yeah. they're losing 300 pounds total, which is 100 pounds on the APU Sapphire and 200 pounds total of the engine weight. So they're not losing a whole lot of weight. So they're not getting the performance gains. Okay. Um, so when they came out with theirs two years ago, um, it came to Sun and Fun. Two years in a row, right? People that would go fly were just not happy. They were expecting a lot more, right? Um, one of the issues they had with was air conditioning. Oh yeah, that's right, because that entire system's not in there anymore. Well, the bleed. They were there's a high pressure bleed and low pressure bleed. They were taking the air conditioner off the low pressure. Oh, there's yeah. not enough volume. 
to run the air conditioning. And that that's not going to work in that airplane. And when that, when that, you that got, glass cockpit like that, holy smokes! When you smokes. got two things that sell the airplane, which is the sexiness of the airplane and the air conditioner, yeah. And you take one of those out. That's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. So we have tried to learn from their mistakes, uh, which they don't want us to know their mistakes, <laughs> but it gets out. Yeah. Um, so we're not having any air conditioning problem. We actually had to have a restrictor. Well, just remember, good artists borrow, great artists steal. So there you go. So you're a great artist. Okay. You're stealing. <laughs> we actually had to uh, design a restrictor because it was blowing too much. I like to hear that. Okay. But uh, so we lost a lot of weight, and the um, the flight testing started last week, which was the 50th anniversary of the prototype first flight. Good timing. Good timing. Of the L-39. Of the L-39. Good timing. Do you have any idea how many of these things they produced? 3,000, 3,500, oh. a lot. And do you have any idea how many are in the U.S.? Three, uh, it's a pretty small number. Isn't 300. It? Yeah, it's and a pretty small number. a lot number. of those don't fly. Right. I've seen, I think there's a couple just in our, our local Ontario airport up here. I think there's three of them just sitting in a yeah. hangar. Just rusting away. Yeah. So we're we're trying to take other people's um, R and D. Sure, that makes and, perfect and, sense. And, yeah. And, uh, learn from their mistakes. Learn from their mistakes. So. And I'm sure it's vice versa too. You know, if you get a clean sheet on this airplane, you know they're going to look at it and steal well, your ideas as well. What well, What we're trying to do is to make it to where the competition has to buy from us. So buy the parts and Brilliant. the kits. Brilliant. You know, I'm not opposed to selling um, to Code One. Of course not. Yeah, that's that's B to B, man. Yeah, business to business. There's lots of money in that, and it makes it makes good sense for everybody because it also purports the product. You know, pushes yeah. the product out there, makes the airplane a much better airplane, and for all intents and purposes, driving the price up on those airframes, drive the price up and reliability, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of these motors. I mean, with the the Learjets and the Hawkers and everybody that are kind of going into salvage, a lot of these motors exist, right? I mean, so you were, we're not Cheap. talking about a huge price point increase where, you know, an FJ-44 is a is a million-dollar experience. Right. That's not what we're talking about right. here. Well, the thing about the 731-3 is is they're plentiful. Um, you know, they're scrapping the airplanes. Right. So even if it has one bad engine, it's got one good one. Right, sure. Uh, typically, so. And you just mean, like, time remaining as well, right? Time remaining, Um and it's a little more complicated on the 731s than it is the Ochenko. Ochenko, 1,000-hour TBO. That's it. Well, yeah. And Basically, the way I said it is you pull it out and chuck it in the trash. Right. I, I have ran uh, in some R&D instances over 2,000 hours. Oh, wow. Okay. With I assume you're babying it, though, the entire with, time, no, right? With oh, fuel no. nozzle cleaning and um, just taking care of the engine. Well, I take it all back then. That's a wonderful motor. Yeah. So, what's, my, what's my problem? Some of the, <laughs> the the factory 500 TBO engines don't go 500. Oh, wow. So so they've got different parts in them, different metallurgy, okay. different coatings that make some of them go longer. But uh, so you get into the 731, and it's not necessarily as cut and dry. You got disc cycles. You got section inspections at so many hours. You know, and a lot of these that are on a um, 
uh, maintenance um, insurance, JSSI or right, right, power by the hour type of thing. Yeah, tap a lead. They don't necessarily help the engines because if it goes in for an inspection, they find something wrong. They may put a a disc in that's got a lot of hours. Sure, and it's only got two hundred hours left. Right. So they they don't necessarily help you out. Got it. Um, so, so you got to be careful with choosing an engine, um, especially on on these ones that um, they scrapped the airplane already. Right. Well, because there could be time life limited items, et cetera, et cetera, that are kind of wrapped up in the ball of that motor, right? Right. So unless it's on the pylon and you can run it, it it's a crapshoot. I mean, you got to. You can send it to uh, test cell and, and get tested, but that's but there's an expense five thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's a um, it's very exciting though because you've got you know access to a lot of these motors. It works. It it reduces the weight, you know, pursuant to what you do to the airplane. Uh, fuel. For, how about fuel flow? I mean, obviously that the Evchenko we're, just we're sucks still, gas. We're still in the testing uh, phase of that. Um. Should be somewhere around fifteen percent. Oh, okay. Uh, now, I would expect it more than that, to be honest with you, because it's a it's a pure it's pure fan. It's about the same thrust. Yeah. Um, now this fifteen percent number I'm getting from. But you're not taking into account the weight reduction too. This fifteen percent number I'm getting from the the data that Code One has put out. Oh, okay, all right. So we're still in the testing phase to determine that that, uh, that that's, that's more of a gigo environment, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. You know, they're they're putting out information just, oh, well, my test pilot flew and he said this is what I get. Yeah. We're having Garmin data recorded, perfect, and put in charts. Perfect, perfect. I mean. Uh, doesn't get any better than that. I can tell you something all day, but until it's sure, yeah, it's, it's a Garmin report. Then, so when will you be comfortable? I, I assume you're comfortable now that this this is a this is a workable system. It's it's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. Um, when will you be? Yeah, you know what? We're we can mass produce this thing if need be. Well, and when I when I say mass produce, you know you're doing a couple of retros a year. We're still in the R and D phase. How long do you think you'll you'll be in that? I guess is where I was we, going. We with that. have we have completed the engine mounts, which had to be custom made. Sure. Because you know hawkers only have one mount on one side. Right. So we're we're having to, to make our own mounts. Okay. We're taking the existing AI25TL uh, rollers for the front and making it roll in just like the original engine. Very nice. So ease and simplicity of replacement. Right. We actually take the rear mounts off the AI-25, and we we incorporate them into a carbon fiber rear um, piece. Okay. So there's a lot of carbon fiber going on in this airplane, so that's, that's kind of why it's called the, uh, we've coined the carbon albatross. You know, a- like after that. the carbon cub. I love that. I love that. And it's got a good ring to it as well. Yeah. And who doesn't love carbon? Come I on. Know. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think then? I, I'll put you on the spot right now for, 
for our airplane. I mean, I'm I'm so excited it's not even funny. I, you, you, I don't think you need to wait for the completion of the R&D. I mean, we're trugging along on ours. Yeah. Ours is in the stage where we have stripped. And, and this, this airplane had never been put together in the States. So it had never been painted. It had never been refurbished. Um, so... It was a, I mean, it was a Sanford and Son looking airplane too. <laughs> yeah, I saw the pictures. I love, I love those pictures though. It's a true, honest to God barn find yeah. in the aviation community, and this airplane was purchased. A lot of people and, say they they find barn finds. No, that's a barn find. It's in a barn. It was in a horse barn. Yes. <laughs> How did you find out about it? Just word of mouth. Nice. So this guy bought it, just brought it over here and put it in a barn. I assume he had the intention, well, or she. It's kind of a backstory on that. It was. It was part of uh, some airplanes that were in Bessemer, Alabama, getting refurbished. And uh, the company went out of business, and one of the mechanics they owed a bunch of money to, he just said, I'm taking this airplane. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so he took it and put it in a horse barn for 10 years. Yeah. And, and then I found out about it. Brilliant. Very exciting. I love the backstory, too. And, and it didn't, uh, do you remember what, uh, I, I don't remember what year it is. The airframe itself? I don't remember either. Somewhere around the 80 that's to 84. Yeah, that's what I thought. 83 or 84, I think is what you said. Yeah. Yeah, that's very exciting. But we took the engine out of that horse barn find, put it in the dash jet, and won fourth place. You're, that's the motor? That is the motor. I'll be damned. I'll be damned. Different fuel control. Right. How many hours was on that thing? 200. Oh. <laughs> and it sat there for that period of time and then yep. performed flawlessly. Of course, with your hands. Might have had some help. Might have. Yes. Excellent. Well, I'm excited about this. I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, to be on the cutting edge of turning and, and basically giving new life to this entire air, yeah. you know, these 3,000 airplanes. It's the future of this airframe. Yeah. It has to be. Because, I mean, the it, it, to rebuild an Evchenko is send the value of the out, aircraft. Send right? it out. You get it back. From the time you send it to get it back, it's nine months. And two hundred fifty thousand. There you go. That's more than the value of the aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get what another thousand at thousand. that point. Okay. So the initial cost of the retro of the Garrett may be two fifty. Wow. However, um, you know you can find engines with five hundred to seven fifty hours left for. Right. Fifty to seventy-five thousand. See, that's wonderful. And as you're, you just described too, the slide in, slide out function will make it yeah. very cost um, effective to just replace the motor. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So a couple of things we changed on it uh, in the R and D phase was instead of one hydraulic pump, we actually have a redundant system. Ooh, ooh! I just got really excited. So you don't you don't have that reserve system anymore then, where you actually no, suck. You still have. The emergency accumulator, okay, and the main accumulator, the Got whole it. system is intact except for the pump. Very nice, very nice. So with this, because this all, everything runs on the hydraulics on this thing. Yeah, yeah. with this re new redundant pump, each each pack is capable of producing sixty percent of, of factory volume. All right. So you, they'll both be running together. So it, but it, one pump can run the entire system without issue. Correct. Okay. Can you do something about the taxiing? 
can't I never did get used to it. How to operate I never got used brakes. to it. I had to apologize every time I taxi out. I just I just immediately start apologizing. I'm sorry. I can't do I can't ta- I can't taxi this thing. Most people they they pull the handle and and it, it's about a second and a half delay. Yeah. And they get impatient yep, and, that's and me. Then they squeeze more and then it's too much. Right. So there's a handle on the stick. And you press down on this handle, and then pursuant to where your feet are on the rudder pedals, puts that amount of pressure towards that a brake assembly. And I just over control like nobody's business. It's just if it makes obnoxious. you feel any better, I can't taxi a 182 with tow brakes. <laughs> it blows my mind. There you go. <laughs> well, Shane, I can't thank you enough for sitting down with us and having a chat about it. I love yeah. this stuff. It's exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to the new project. Uh, if anybody needs any maintenance done on an L39, fighter maintenance contracting with Shane Phillips is the only answer in my book. The only. I do not fly unless you touch my airplane. And if you don't touch my airplane, I don't fly. So flat tires in my case. Square. Yes. Well, thanks for sitting down with us, my friend. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. See ya.